your destination. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Red Hot Chili Prepper Podcast. This is episode number 21. I'm Suzanne Sherman. Jeff Johnson, co-host, producer, and wonderful friend, is with me in the studio today. And we also have a special, um, well, two special guests. We're going to bring them on momentarily. We're going to talk about falconry. I was really unaware of how popular this hobby was until a, a, a crazy friend of mine up the road named Chanel was showing some pictures on Facebook of a kestrel hawk that she had. And then an even crazier friend of mine named Phil, well, I'll, I'll hold my beer. Look what I got here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But before we get rolling, you can follow this page, Facebook, the Red Hot Chili, C-H-I-L-L-Y prepper here over on Facebook, as well as Polita Prep Podcasts. And the Wasatch Report is where we talk about current events and kind of uh, measure them from a constitutional and a historical perspective. So if you're interested and a little bit curious, uh, check out the Wasatch Report also on Facebook. See how long you stick around. If you're not listening live, uh, too bad. It's fun because people do like to chime in and we will address their questions and comments and concerns live more in the air. But if you can't do so, don't worry, you can hear us on Anchor FM at your leisure. This show is available on seven platforms, including the Apple platforms. Please like, rate our show, tell your friends. That's how you get traffic directed to us. You can also support our show by donating for as little as 99 cents per month. Feel free to donate more if you're so inclined. SuzanneCSherman.com is my website, and I have done some, I'm, I'm two-thirds of the way through a series on making stock. And the funny thing is, I just got a call from a girlfriend this morning asking me how to make stock. And I said, I'm driving and I'm almost where I need to be. But by the way, go to SuzanneCSherman.com blogs and see making my favorite stock recipes. I have a chicken, turkey, elk, and beef. And we'll do an addendum to that because Phil's wife, Cammie, makes rabbit stock in her Instapot. So that's pretty cool. So we'll be getting onto there. And so a couple quick announcements. We are also going to have a show on beekeeping. My friend Phil here is also a beekeeper and he's going to be on this show frequently. You're going to hear more of him. He is uh, really cool and very knowledgeable with regards to all sorts of bushcrafting skills, but beekeeping is another one. But my friend April, another local gal, has a company called Beyond the Bee. It's a small local honey business in Syracuse, Utah. Also, I have uh, Connor Dragotas, and he is the author of Work for Liberty, a resource guide for finding employment in the liberty movement. And uh, boy, howdy, a lot of people are trying to find employment these days. And we're also going to talk about Phil's home business. He is combining his hobby and uh, making making uh, life's work out of that as well. Enough of my yapping. Phil Clark, welcome to the show. Thank you. That's it? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm glad to be here, Suzanne. This is going to be a great day. And really, if there's any questions or comments, please share them. We want to see them. And if you have serious questions about falconry, we'd love to answer them for you. Well, I was unaware of how popular falconry was. I think the only time I'd ever seen one I was out of with my horse out by a cross-country uh, park in California, and somebody had this massive hawk on their glove like you did. And my horse took one look at that, and I thought, okay, it's time for me to dismount and walk him past this thing because he was absolutely <laughs> having none of that. But now with this tribe of friends that we have, I think I know about four or five people 
that are doing this, including my friend Robert down in Texas. He's been doing this for 20 years and he's going to be checking out the show as well. But for the people that are as new to this as I once was, let's uh, have you give a, a a little description. What exactly is falconry? Is it a is it a sport? Is it a livelihood? Is it a is it a hobby? It can be all of the above. So falconry, the definition in the book is hunting with birds of prey. Okay, so it's not pet keeping. You can't just have a hawk just to keep it around your house. Um, in order to do that, you have to be in a rehab. Uh, or be in some type of education and have an educational permit. Uh, but for falconry, we hunt with our hawks. We take them out daily. Um, we kill things. You can't be a falconer and not hunt with your hawk. It, it's kind of against the law on top of against the rules of falconry. Our, uh, our birds of prey are meant to hunt. They are wild they are supposed to stay wild and what they become is your hunting partner and we love it i mean i've been i've been a falconer for 10 years now and during our hunting season which basically runs from uh august till february uh, we're out almost every single day hunting and we catch all kinds of things now, <laughs> that hunting season, is that prescribed by uh, regula regulations or season, weather? How is that sorted out? It's all the above. Um, so number one, birds of prey tend to molt their feathers. That means they drop their feathers and start growing a new set of feathers in um, from about March till, till August. And honestly, not all molts are even done in August. So some falconers don't bother flying until September or October. Um, but I tend to fly any chance I get. The, the earlier the season opens, the better off I am. Now, I would assume they're still physically able to fly during the molt. Otherwise, they'd starve, right? Exactly. In, in the wild, the birds never stop hunting and they never, they never stop doing what they have to do to survive. Uh, the great thing for, for our birds that are in captivity is they have a chance to fully regrow beautiful sets of feathers every year, and they're going to get fed every single day, which is a really, uh, it's a benefit. In the wild, birds, if they don't catch something, they starve. Uh, about 90%, 85 to 90% of all birds of prey die their very first year. They just can't do it. And one of those big contributing factors is starvation. Um, starvation, disease, predators, uh, hitting, getting hit by cars, electrocution. You know, the man, the man-made side of that is tremendous. In fact, wind farms. There's another great big one that's a, one of those big disputes. Is wind farms kill as many birds of prey as you can imagine? I mean, they the birds come there and then they get hit by those great big fans. Yeah, you don't hear the outcry like you did after the BP oil d uh, disaster in the Gulf, did you? There's nothing no. wind farms because that's a that's a favored source of energy, uh, crony capitalism, and you know. But now I'm venturing into the Wasatch Report lanes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me give you a little more on that one. The right. uh, the the law has just recently changed that they are no longer accountable for birds that are killed or injured. They can kill as many as they want at this point. 
what where if, before they were they had a certain number that they could get away with. What if I had a, a red-tailed hawk out here picking off my chickens, just destroying my flock, and I decide to get out the old 870 and, you know, scatter <laughs> some feathers? Is that okay? Well, that would be against the law, Suzanne. No, I can't <laughs> and do it. it, it it's it's kind of a messed up double standard, but it's against the law for you to shoot or protect your anything from a bird of prey because they're part of the uh, Bird Treaty Act and the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. And uh, because of that, you're not allowed to hurt them in any way, shape, or form. But I would still say don't say anything and just take care of the problem because your chickens are part of your livelihood. You know, it does get to the point where the the government would prefer you starve if it came down to self-preservation than kill one of these animals. We've heard stories about people defending themselves from grizzly bears on their own property and getting punished by federal law. But you mentioned something earlier about these birds absolutely must hunt. And one of the ethics, um, ethical considerations of having any animal, as you were talking, I was thinking it's very similar, for instance, with dogs. So if you have a sedentary lifestyle or you're working all the time and then you want to come home and be a couch potato, maybe a border collie or a Bel uh, Belgian Malinois <laughs> aren't for you. Likewise, if you're an indoor type of person, this kind of a, a hobby is likely not one for you. I also was curious because these birds don't go out and hunt on their own. I've seen, you know, you've got a setup here. They, they don't go out and hunt on their own. So you have to take them out every day or can you just open the, cut off the tether and say, go get yourself a mouse or whatever it is that you want? Well, I, no. Okay. So the birds, they can hunt by themselves. They're incredibly good at it. But if you do that, your bird may never come back to you. Um, in, in the sport of falconry, we take our birds hunting and we don't do the hunting. The birds do the hunting. The dogs do the hunting. What we are is we get to be part of nature for that hour or two hours a day. And we get to be firsthand involved with it. We get to see it. We get to experience it. And it's kind of a spiritual relationship with, with what we do because we get to see nature at its finest. These birds have been genetically designed, I mean, by God or our higher deity, they've been created to control pests, to control rodents, to, to keep numbers in check. And they're incredibly efficient at what they do. So a hawk, just, just a basic hawk, can take 10 mice in a day. And if you think about that, that's a huge number of mice throughout a year. And then if you have 10 hawks in one area doing the same thing, you're controlling a rodent population that could explode and get out of control and, and destabilize all the grasses and roots and, and anything else that happens to be in that area. Um, hawks are really one of our best friends and one of our unsung heroes in controlling rodent populations. You know, and I, I want to be clear on something too. If I did have a hawk, because I've had some that have been Poached, porched on my uh, telephone pole and keeping an eye out for some chickens. But I've only had one instance in the seven years that I've had backyard birds where I found some feathers on the uh, ground. Oh, and I think we're going to have another guest join us. So I've had some feathers on the ground. and But I had no dead hen, but I had a very bloody rooster. So what I do say is if you do have backyard birds, it is your responsibility to secure them 
from magnificent animals like him. I just get goosebumps. I've been, uh, Phil is a personal friend of mine. I've been to his house. I have actually gotten to hunt with this bird. I have held him. I've gotten to pet this bird. He, he was like, he's like a, a lethal chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't tell him that. <laughs> but I mean, I, I was amazed when I was petting him. He likes the back of his head scratched. He likes all the other things that pet birds like. So let's talk a little bit about what it took to develop this relationship and how you acquired him. I remember the pictures when he was a little ball of fluff <laughs> and look at him now. Yeah. So Fierce, this is Fierce, everybody. And uh, Fierce is actually uh, an imprint goshawk and he's a North American goshawk and he was trapped, well, taken from a nest in the Uinta Mountains. And I actually have a permit to do that. So he has been raised right here in my house with my kids and my dog. And he's just a part of the family and he's very talkative. <laughs> so that's one of the traits of an imprint is they like to talk. They like to be right in the middle of everything. And he has his place in our family. So, yep. yeah, he's he's pretty fun, but he is really noisy. And we're not going <laughs> to worry about the noise because that is the nature of this show. I don't think many prepper shows are able to have the honor of a, a bird like this on here as, as well as having your knowledge. What does it take? Now, you said that you had a permit to get him out of the nest. And what does it take to get uh, a falconry permit? I assume that what you, if you are a falconer, then you do have the the permission to get these birds out of their nests. That's right. So, like I said earlier, I, I've been a falconer for ten years. I am a master falconer, which basically means I just have the time in that the state recognizes that I am not a beginner. I'm not an intermediate. I have done so much in falconry and in rehab that they understand. I know more about birds than most conservation officers. Um, I am also a member of a rehab that's just up the road from my house, and we take care of birds and and rehab them and do everything we can to to help them. And so that covers a lot of the veterinarian care that I might need for my hawk. If mm -hmm. if there's a problem, I can pick up the phone and call Ann right up the road and say, "I have a problem. What should I do about it?" <laughs> okay, Jeff, you need a pet now. I've got my cat here. <laughs> well, you better watch it. Um, Fierce might come over and visit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what does it what does it take to become a falcon? Let's let's go that route. So, the first thing you have to have is the desire and the interest in falconry. And my my desire started when I think I was in the third grade. Um, we had read My Side of the Mountain which was a fantastic book as a kid. Remember when they had great books like that in school? Oh, man, I, I kind of miss those days. I know. Well, that's what's but, great. Uh, schooling. But we, we had an assembly, and a falconer was invited to our school, and I was that hyperactive kid that couldn't sit still, and I was looking, and I wanted to touch, and I wanted to be involved. And that falconer took pity on me. Out of all the kids that were in that assembly, he saw me and two other kids that he said... Those three I want to come and visit after the assembly's over. And the first time in my life, I got to have a face-to-face -face with a hawk that I got to touch. And I got to hold on a glove. Now, let's see, wrong direction. Try to remember. I got to hold on a, on a gauntlet. 
And it set in stone in my life that I wanted to someday be a Falconer. So 30 years went by and I didn't have the opportunity. I didn't ever know a Falconer. I didn't have a way of getting into it. And then one day somebody moved into my church area and I heard kind of rumor that they were there. Well, very shortly after that, I saw a injured uh, red tail hawk out in a field and I went and I threw my jacket around it and picked it up and put it in my truck. I made a couple phone calls and found out where that person was and they were right there in town. And I was probably close to two hours away working out in the oil field. And this lady with her son drove all the way out to the site I was working on and collected this bird. But I wasn't just going to give up the bird. <laughs> I wanted to know how, where, why, and if I could be part of helping that bird get better. And they were kind enough that they said, yeah, come on over. Come over after work and we'll discuss it and talk about it. And within a month, I was a falconer with a federal permit trapping my first red-tailed hawk. And I haven't ever looked back. Uh, it's been such an amazing journey. So much fun. So exciting. I've had eight or nine different birds in that period of time. I've had goshawks and red-tailed hawks and merlins and kestrels. And they've been so amazing. Each and every one is just so unique and different in the things they hunt and the things they eat and how they hunt. And uh, it's, it's just become a real passion. And then along the way, you know, we've got to help rehab uh, golden eagles and, and crows and ravens and all kinds of other different things that just kind of fall in line. And it's just been, an, it's an amazing, amazing thing. It's an amazing journey. You know, when uh, we're going to take a quick break and then I want to address what you what you had just brought up. You mentioned several different species. So we're going to talk about falconry. It's not just for falcons, apparently. It's for all birds of prey, these raptors. Maybe not all. There might be some that are permitted that are that are off limits. I beg your pardon. Uh, we're going to take a quick break for our friends over Anchor and then we'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Red Hot Chili Prepper. Joining us today is uh, Phil Clark and Fierce. The goshawk. Now, how can you tell a goshawk from a red-tailed hawk if he's just sitting there? Can you only tell the red-tailed hawk when they're flying and you see that tail size difference. So, yeah, okay. Um, a goshawk is an acipiter, so its body shape is more like a tube. It's kind of long and, and slender right through here. It's got really short wings. And a really long tail. The tail just keeps on going down, down, down. And what that tail acts as on a, on a goshawk is acts as a third wing. So they're they're built to fly through the canopy and to hunt birds and and mammals. But literally, they can use that tail as an extra wing. They can spread it out when they close their wings in, diving through holes and branches and going through leaves and trees. And red tails are built more like a kite. They have great big wide wings and a big round tail, and they can really catch and soar and thermal up in the sky as they're just kind of floating around up there until they see something. And then they close their wings and they just drop. And wow, you can literally almost feel it hit the ground. They hit the ground so hard when they're going after a mouse or a rabbit. How do they not get hurt? 
they're incredibly tough. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've been to my house and I live in an area that has a plethora of, of birds of prey. And I learned a lot just when you were out here pointing out the activities and what they were doing. And, you know, there, and today remember where that red tailed hawk nest was in my neighbor's field. Well, today there's now a bald Eagle and it was setting up shop, hanging out in that same spot. And that's the one that when I got home is eating a dead deer behind my, you know, behind my fence back here on the, on the hill behind my house. And, uh, you know, some of the behavior that you had mentioned was when you saw a hawk way up in the sky on the other side of the canyon and how the nesting pair, how they took off, just glided across the canyon and started circling. And you said, now they're going to ride the air currents and work their way up to that other one because he's intruding on their territory. But that one got wise to them and took off. But out here, I have seen some absolutely amazing interactions with the type with the different birds. You know, in the in the wintertime or in the spring, there's a overlap when the bald eagles are still here and the red tails show up. And one time I saw a, a juvenile bald eagle was being um, attacked or by a red tailed hawk and the hawk kept diving it and, and striking at it with the talons. Well, by the third time that this happened, the eagle inverted and put its talons up in the air. And then the red tail said, okay, I guess that that's over. And then I see it the other way around where the eagles are going after the hawks. So it's absolutely amazing to see them. But what was really fascinating was to have the honor. And I am so grateful. Uh, Phil took uh, my sons and I out hunting and you have another hunting partner. We do it. We need to acknowledge him as well, priest, and he is a Hungarian hoopla. That's right. And just like, you know, we were talking about dogs that are purpose-built and purpose-built for sports, this dog is bred to flush out these, these uh, the prey, the quarry, and then to see these two work together. You were sharing a story with me that sometimes they just take off and hunt without you. <laughs> yeah, they, they really don't need me. Um, so so priest, like you said, is a Hungarian bichla. Uh the Hungarian Vichla was bred by the Hungarian aristocracy to be the perfect falconry dog. You know, back when they were bred, they didn't have guns. They didn't even hardly use bow and arrows. What they did is they went and flew hawks and falcons, and they flew them over the Hungarian Vichlas. Uh, I believe it was the Germans or Russians that came in and, and pretty much wiped out that culture. Well, instead of, instead of letting uh, their... Vichlas become dogs for the other people, the uh, aristocracy pretty much wiped them all out. There's only a few breeding pairs that survived. So the Hungarian Vichla is actually kind of a rare dog. And uh, to have him like like Priest, he's, he's just absolutely amazing. He understands birds better than I do. He knows everything that's going on all the time. Um, and they just work so well together as a pair. Yeah, it, so, it's amazing to watch them. Um, now, when, when we were hunting, and I asked you this earlier, and I said we would get to this after the break, so now I'm finally getting around to it. I asked you when we were out, is there a species of bird that is more optimal? And I also asked, you know, one thing I also noticed was you don't have your bird hooded. He can see at all times. That's when you started talking about different personalities of the birds. And I said, does anybody do this with owls? And, you know, are there, so let's, let's break this down with uh, some temperament issues. What are the best birds for hunting? What's maybe not as optimal and what, if anything is strictly off limit for the activity okay. of falconry? 
first thing you need to understand is not all areas are the same. So if you're out hunting and you're in a duck marsh, you want a bird that can take ducks. You're flying a kestrel is not going to catch a duck. A kestrel is great for grasshoppers and mice. They're um, small birds. If you're not familiar with them, they're about the size of a decent sized cockatiel, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Um, a, a goshawk, their, their name actually goss comes from the root word of goose. So these little hawks are tenacious and fast and they can literally catch a goose. They can catch a duck. They can catch just about any type of rabbit. Um, so they're, they're very, they're a very, very versatile kind of bird. Uh, a falcon is an amazing bird for killing other birds and they hardly ever catch anything on the ground. So if you are in a, a marshy area and you have big areas to fly, then peregrine falcon may be exactly what you want. They are so fast. You can, there's actually documented uh, speeds of 240 miles an hour with peregrine falcons coming down in a stoop. I don't know if you know how fast that really is because I've never gone that fast. Right. But it but it's insane how fast they can come down. You get this hawk here, he can he can fly 40, 50 miles an hour across open ground and just track down a rabbit or a pheasant. And it's it's all on the different terrains that you're hunting in. Now, what birds can you have or can't you have? Well, a lot of that depends on what you are as far as the level of, of falconer. Um, so as a general rule, an apprentice, which is the first step, um, they can have a kestrel. Sorry, she decided to go for a flight. They can have they can start with a kestrel or a red tail hawk. And that's general. Some states have other rules that they they're allowed to have anything they want. But a lot of it comes down to their sponsor. Now, in order to get into falconry, you have to have a sponsor. And a sponsor just means that you have to have a general or master class falconer who's willing to look out for you and the health of your bird while you're learning what to do and how to do it. Okay. So I'm a, I, I'm a sponsor for Suzanne because Suzanne's just coming in and just starting. And I've been to her house and I know her area. And there's not a lot of things that she's going to be able to hunt right there. She's got private property on one side of her. Her area is going to have mice and she's got a couple of trees that's going to be great. But then just down the canyon, she's got this amazing sagebrush area that's got some trees up above it. Well, in my mind, that says Suzanne's going to have huge success with the red tail hawk on rabbits and mice just down the street from her. So I'm going to highly suggest to Suzanne that she takes a red tail hawk to start with because as a, as a sponsor, my number one priority is her bird. Believe it or not, it's not Suzanne. It's her bird. And the health of it and the ability to catch prey. So if she has the opportunity to catch rabbits and mice with her red tail, she's going to have a great success and she's going to want to continue on in falconry. If she doesn't have success, then that's part of my failure too, because then she's going to say, I don't want to be a falconer anymore. It takes up too much time and it's not a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, when you, when you're talking about being successful, obviously you want to encourage people to be successful. What happens if somebody says, oh, you know, I really don't care to do this anymore. Now you mentioned fierce as an imprinted 
goshawk, meaning you took him out of the nest. You have a young daughter who I'm sure cuddled and snuggled him. And she's going to be a falconer as well. Um, and it's amazing to see, you know, bringing more people into activities like this. But if somebody wants to stop, can they just turn their bird loose? Or does that depend on if the bird is imprinted or if you just caught it in the wild and it's going to be okay going back to the wild? So yes and yes. Some states, you are not allowed to hack a bird back into the wild. And hack means to release it and feed it daily for a while mm -hmm. so that it has a chance to go out, hunt for itself, learn to know what it's doing, and then still have safe food. Okay. Um, so that's called a... a hacking it back out into the wild. Some states won't allow that. Once it's a bird, it's there and it, and it stays there until it dies or or something else happens. Um, so yeah, it's not like a gun. If, if you have a bird, you have to take care of it every single day, whether it's the hunting season or not, you still have to feed it. And you can't just stick it in your closet and shut it up for the, for the rest of the season. It just doesn't work that way. So if, if you were just to decide you wanted to get out of falconry once you got in it, you would have to find somebody to take your bird. Or if it was a wild caught bird, then you could release it back into the wild. However, if it was a hybrid bird, meaning um, say you, wow. you, you bought a falcon, so you bought a peregrine and the peregrine was a mix with a kestrel or a, a merlin, it would have been a perlin. Okay, that would be the hybrid name of it. You can't release that bird ever. Mm -hmm. Because that would then go out and breed and create a whole new species of bird that the states don't allow that. That's not okay. Yeah. So you would have to either sell that bird or give it to another falconer. Any birds that are off limit, at least in this country. And our, my friend Robert did send me a picture. Now, this was a wild golden eagle, but I saw a golden eagle that was uh, hunting um, a speed goat, an antelope. Uh, and uh, that just landed on the back and, and got this one. And then I've also seen people hunting coyotes with golden eagles. Yeah. And wolves. I mean, the Mongolians wow. hunt, hunt wolves with their golden eagles. Wow. So yeah, golden eagles are powerful and they're incredibly strong and they can be incredibly dangerous. Um, however, they are allowed in falconry. And if I wanted a golden eagle, I know the right people and how to get the permit so that I could go take a golden eagle. However, they're big and strong and dangerous. And I have kids and dogs and and soon hope to have grandchildren. And for me, a golden eagle is not the right time, uh, not the right place. Yeah. And so it's not a good fit in my in my book. I have friends, however, that have golden eagles that fly them daily, love them. They're amazing. Um, but no, you have to be a master class falconer in order to obtain a permit. And even then, not all states, like the state of North Dakota, it's not allowed. Uh, Eagle falconry is a no-go. You can't do it there, So, you know, which is sad. They have they have some of the best white-tailed jack hunting, and that's what you need to, to really yeah. be successful as a golden eagle. Right. That would be a great place for it. You know, and then one of the benefits of having this this hobby is you can feed your family. As we know personally, we had some of the rabbit that that fierce uh, and priest and you uh well you skinned it and got it ready <laughs> but they caught and cammy cooked and it was absolutely delicious so that's a benefit you could feed your family but now i i want to give an admonition here because if you're a prepper minded soul and you're getting into this hey 
you know, I'll just move out in the country and get a bird of prey, and then I don't have to go and hunt big game like a family every day. Do you think this is something that is more ancillary to prepping or prepping is ancillary to this? And this is your focus. You are dedicated to this. Goshawks are called uh, the cook's hawk because they can feed a family and they'll go out. If you're a good falconer, you can catch two, three, four animals a day with them and they can literally feed your family. Uh, it wasn't. I mean, it, it, in old England, if you go back to the old times where you had uh, serfs and, and peasants and then your nobility, serfs and peasants could have a goshawk. And that's a lot how they fed their family. They didn't have guns in, in those days, but if they wanted protein, they'd send their hawk out after the rabbits that were out on the, on the moor, and that's how they would get their food. So yes, it is a potential way of giving sustained food to feed your family. Um, but is it necessarily the best way to do that? With the modern technologies we have today, right. a gun is a much easier and much better way of, of sustaining your family with food. Well, this is just, you know, <laughs> I could talk about this for hours, but I know you guys are <laughs> going to go and fly. But just as, you know, final final <clears throat> comment to everybody, this is the type of bird that when you have something like this, you must get it out and fly every single day. You can't come home from work and say, oh, I'm just too tired. This bird's waiting. I mean, I've gotten there at the time when he's ready to go and he knows it and he's outside and he's squawking away really quick. What's the equipment you need? And you also made a home cottage industry out of this that anybody that's into falconry, my friend Robert Tyler in Texas, please, I want you to tell your friends about your about this company here. Traditions. Is it it's, yeah, traditions? Yep, traditions gloves. Mm -hmm. G-L-O-V-E-S. So traditions gloves, we actually make these gauntlets that our bird is carried around on and hunted with. And Traditions Gloves has been around about 70 years. I am the fourth owner of Traditions Gloves. The first two gentlemen retired off the company and then it was shortly owned by, a, by my sponsor who ended up having a baby and decided that she couldn't handle it and then passed it on to me. So I am the owner of Traditions Gloves. I make falconry gloves, make falconry bags and lures that are chase and and train with and then uh, a lot of times recall back to us with those lures when they're out hunting um but yeah traditions gloves uh if you want to see some amazing falconry videos type in traditions gloves on youtube and there's about three hours of training hunting you'll see my goshawks catching rabbits and and uh, pheasants right in front of the camera uh it, it's Pretty, pretty awesome stuff. We'll share that link so people can see that. And also, I'll make sure I have uh, your link. I think it's on your page as well. So people can reach out to you. We'll try and get our falconry friends to order some because we really do need to encourage people to support cottage industries. A lot of families have been hurt this past year. So I would encourage anybody to go to a, an organization like what Phil has or uh, our good friend Brian in, uh, out here in Utah. Also, Bare Naked Body Essentials. If you go there and type in Sherman, S-H-E-R-M-A-N, and then the number 10, 10% 10 of the profits will come straight to us and that will help us out as well. But do try to, instead of going to the big box stores who have uh, profited 
uh, insanely well this past year. Go to the people that are hurting. Go to the people that really do need and deserve your business. Bill Clark and Fierce, thank you so much for joining us today. It's just been a pleasure for those of you on Anchor FM. Thank you so much for joining us. 